It's time for the VolQuest podcast, where we dissect the biggest news items of the week. Good Tuesday, everybody, and happy game week. Welcome to the VolQuest podcast, the Smoky Mountain Organics VolQuest podcast, East Tennessee's most trusted health and wellness store focusing on natural products. Three locations in East Tennessee, one right here in Knoxville, 8018 Kingston Pike across the street from the Trader Joe's. A uh, big week coming up here, Rob Lewis, Austin Price, Brent Hubs, as you listen here to the VolQuest podcast. It's finally here, and uh, a lot to be excited about, but also little little game week treats. Friday afternoon, Austin Price, Tennessee, finally got some good news on, on Brew McCoy. What a difference. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Hubbard, you, you got to give a lot of credit to, to the NCAA, to Tennessee. Um, Tennessee filed the waiver on the 15th. And within two weeks, the NCAA ruled on it and ruled him eligible. And, uh, you know, just, a, you know, a, a big shot in the arm to the offense, a big shot in the arm to the entire team to, to have him uh, be a go because he's shown enough flashes in fall camp, Hubbard, that, you know, it would have been a blow to the team and to the offense had he not been eligible. Yeah, I think you got to give a tip of the cap to Rob Lewis to USC for their Sunday afternoon release of hey we want him to be eligible we're all for him being eligible but it's not our decision it's an ncaa decision when the ncaa looked at that and went well we actually it is your decision you could make this easy if you want to uh and and i think that's part of the reason why the ncaa ruled fast on this deal is like wait a minute if you don't have a problem with it why is it in our hands if you don't have a problem all you gotta do is sign the document and away we go so um Tip of the cap to the NCAA for doing something that's not normally done, Rob Lewis. That's efficiency and common sense. Yeah, and I go back, and Hubbard, this is speculation on my part, but don't you have to feel like Tennessee was helped by how closely Danny White and Donde Plowman had worked with the NCAA over the past 18 months in you know doing the self-investigation? I'm, I'm, just, I'm sure there, there were people in, Indiana, in, in Indianapolis that they have in the favorites list on their iPhones that and vice versa that that they're getting that where they have really good open open lines of dialogue. I I just I have a hard time thinking that that didn't help Tennessee. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt. The other thing too, I think that probably helped um, as well is that Tennessee chose not to make this a real public deal, right? Like like they didn't get into a public war of words. They didn't get into a challenge to USC. They just went, and this is Danny. This is Danny White style, and and some fans may not like it, but that's just the matter of fact and kind of who he is, um, you know. But but he does a lot of work and, and never tells people what's being done. Like you go back to when John Fulkerson took the shot um, in the face that he took in the NC in the SEC tournament. There was this outcry from the the Tennessee fan base about why is Danny White not you know, going after, you know, Florida. Well, he won't say anything because it's his brother. There was a lot of stuff that took place behind the scenes in terms of conversations that nobody ever knew about. And I think that's kind of how they work. And I think the, the Danny White, Dondi Plowman worked with the, the NCAA on this deal and said, hey, here's where we're at. We're going to file this appeal and file this waiver because we cannot get, uh, you know, the answer that we need from, you know, USC. We're going to have all this in place. We're going to have our I's dotted and T's crossed and send you the paperwork. And the NCAA, I won't say rubber stamped it, but for them to make a decision this quick, Eric, there was some there was some pretty quick reviewing going on, which is atypical of the NCAA style. Don't you think, however, that this just shows, like, when they want to get something done, they can just get it done anytime. Like, the, when they drag it out, it's just like, 
they just put stuff on the back burner. This was clearly put in front of them and, and, you know, they acted quickly on it where, as you pointed out, you know, there was no rhyme or reason for, you know, how long certain things have taken over the years, not just in Tennessee, but other places. Well, and I think that part of the NCAA's deal right now is they, they don't have as much power clearly as they once had. Um, guy, I mean, how many people are losing transfer waivers? How many people are they ruling against at this point, denying some guy a transfer waiver? Uh, you, you just, I mean, in the one-time transfer rule that's going on right now and the empowerment of the student athlete, whether you agree with it or you don't agree with it, it's here to stay. It's not going away anywhere. I had a conversation with Tony Vitello last week, and we were talking about it. He said, anything that the NCAA or anything that's out there proposed that helps the student athlete in any way is going to get passed. And I think that's the case here where the NCAA looked at this and said, what's, what's the healthiest thing for Brew McCoy? What's the best thing for Brew McCoy, Eric? He missed the previous year. Um, there's no charges against him. Why, why do we need to hold Brew McCoy hostage from being on the field for any longer period of time than he's already been away from the field? And as a result, I think this was an easy decision and a good decision for Tennessee because Austin is right um, in that he's a, here's a guy who's gotten better throughout fall camp and is a guy who on the field is going to be able to help this football team starting Thursday night. I was going to say from a football perspective with Brew McCoy, Austin, I mean, coaching staff is, is very high on him. As you mentioned, again, really good camp, got better and better each day, each week playing in this tempo, playing this offense, but just his ability out there as a wide receiver. Now, he's not played a whole lot of football, and so it's not cut and dry sitting here saying, oh, well, Brew McCoy is going to be maybe your best receiver or second to Cedric Tillman or whatever. He's got to go out and prove it, of course, just like they all do. But just laying eyes on him out there for the little bit of time that we did and from what we're hearing, sounds like he can be a really nice weapon in this offense. So I feel like when the news broke, when you broke the news on Friday, that the Tennessee fan base almost had a sense of relief, like, okay, he's in the fold, but much like – the Ramel Keatons, the Jimmy Holidays, the Walker Merrills, everybody else. Brew's got to go out there and prove it, and he'll he'll get his chance on Thursday night and the you know the ensuing weeks as well. Yeah, I agree with that, Hubs, uh, and I agree with that, Caner. I got to prove it, much like a Jalen Hyatt, you know. But I think what it does is it keeps Hyatt in the slot. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I don't. I think he would have still played some in the slot, but I think they would have been pushing him outside a little bit more, and it keeps him in the slot where I think he has a real chance to. To, to make some, you know, some serious noise. And, and again, you know, you got to think Cedric Tillman, Rob, is going to get a ton of, you know, attention. They're going to roll that coverage. Yeah, they're going to roll that coverage. So, like, early on at least, there's the potential for Hyatt and, and Brew and whoever else is out there to kind of get some favorable matchups. Yeah, and outside of Cedric, I mean, Tennessee doesn't have a guy that looks like McCoy. You know, a 6'3", you know, 200, what, 215, 220-pound guy. I mean, physically, McCoy is very similar to, to Cedric. And in what we've seen, probably moves better, probably a little more explosive. You know, Cedric has made his living last year just on, on beasting people down the field on 50-50 balls and, and you know, out, out jumping smaller corners. And, and Brew looks like he can do some of that, but he also looks to me like he's got a little more wiggle, maybe a little more get-off. Now, you know, that doesn't mean he's – a better receiver, but physically he's got some athleticism that I think, you know, Cedric doesn't have in terms of explosiveness. I, I think the big winner, Eric, is, is Jalen Hyatt. I think I think he's the guy who wins most with this news on Friday. And that's not to say Jalen couldn't, as, as Austin mentioned, Jalen can't play outside. But Jalen Hyatt has spent since January 
when he came out of that bowl game and he and he made a decision to really get dialed in and locked in, he made a decision to be the best slot player in the country. That's his goal. His conversation with Velas Jones was about the success you have in the slot in this offense. Everything for Jalen Hyatt since January has been about the slot receiver position. And he's obviously locked in and dialed in the way you want a guy to be. So it's beneficial to Jalen Hyatt and to Tennessee to not upset that apple cart. Leave him where he is most comfortable, most confident, and believes in himself the most, and that's at the slot. And Brew McCoy's eligibility ensures that that takes place. I think that's a win for Jalen Hyatt. I think that's a win for Alex Golish from a production standpoint. And I think that makes Tennessee's receiving core uh, really dangerous because you've got three big bodies. You've got three guys who could run. They do a little, th- they do some things differently. Uh, but I think Jalen Hyatt's been so focused on the slot. I don't think you want to upset that apple cart if you can avoid it. And they don't have to now because Bruce eligible. Yep, I would agree. A strong fall camp for Jalen Hyatt, a really strong spring practice for Jalen Hyatt. And uh, he, he's kind of rocking and rolling with that mindset. Plus, you know, he'll, he'll kind of have to come into his own. The opportunities presented for the slot receiver in this offense are a plenty, but he's not the same player as Valus Jones. Very different type of receiver. Brew McCoy is more of a, a Valus Jones type player to where you kind of throw it out there and just see what he can kind of get on, you know, third and short or whatever. Uh, so I'll be intrigued to kind of see how they kind of evolve into their own. And also, last thing on this, I think even though, of course, they wanted to play and now opportunities would be a little bit fewer and far between as the season goes on, I think it does take a little bit of pressure off those guys like a Walker Merrill, a Romel Keaton to where, sure, they want to play, don't get me wrong, but now they have a defined role when it's all said and done, come in there and give Tennessee some good snaps. So, well, I was going to say, I think they want them to play too. Like, yep. I don't think they want to do the three-man rotation like they did a year ago if they can avoid it. So, you know – Hopefully those those kids stay locked in because it is it, it is easy to kind of get down when you know that part of your playing time could be getting snatched away. Jalen Hyatt last year. That's a perfect example. So a guy that will be out there Thursday night is Brew McCoy. And Tennessee will be taking on Ball States. You know, Rob, you did your scouting the scouting the opponent report way back in the summer, kind of breaking down each of Tennessee's opponents and going back and reviewing that uh, over the weekend. Now, this is a team that's, you know, with head coach Mike New, his seventh season, six and seven a season ago, um, but 2020 MAC champions, a surprise team. But they've lost some players, including a three-year uh, starter at quarterback, John Paddock, uh, a fifth-year senior is expected to be the guy under center, Rob. And uh, this is an offense that returns some weapons, uh, but not a whole lot of production, even with that quarterback a season ago, uh, trying to kind of, kind of start anew and, and build off uh, not a very – productive unit only 24 points per game a season ago yeah just you, you mentioned it, eric they, they they lost a lot especially at quarterback they have a transfer coming in um you know it, you would expect this one to go tennessee's way in any event but um to, to me this looks like just a perfect opener for, for tennessee i mean i, I think and I, i'm not trying to you know belittle ball state but I, i'll be surprised if this one is a game much after halftime just a, a lot of holes to fill. You know, you get the typical SEC versus, you know, small school advantages and athleticism and, and to top it off. I mean, I think Ball, Ball State has some has some depth issues and uh, some experience problems. John Paddock, a season ago, 18 to 26, 132 yards, no touchdowns, no interceptions, and mop-up duty. Mike New joined Austin Price as well as Chris Lowe on the nation Sunday night. Here is what Mike New, head coach of Ball State, said on his new starting quarterback 
John Paddock. We'll have a new starting quarterback for us. Our starter from a year ago was, you know, a three-year starter for us. Uh, you know, led us to a championship, back-to-back bowl games, had a great career in Drew Plitt. But John Paddock uh, is our starting quarterback. He's been with us now uh, for several years. So he's worked hard behind the scenes to study the offense. And uh, very, we're all very, very confident in John. He's a tremendous leader. Um, certainly uh, excited about this opportunity for him. He's worked tirelessly over the last several years to uh, ready himself for this opportunity and, and uh, feel good about John just going out there and running the offense and, and uh, having some fun. Again, that was Ball State head coach Mike New on the new starter, John Paddock under center. And Austin, as you guys continue to talk with him, uh, he feels really confident about his trench play, welcoming back a couple of offensive linemen that missed some time. He likes where they are on the offensive line, and he said – defensively on the defensive line ball state is as deep as as they've ever been while he's been there so of course you got to win a lot of scrimmage in any league but you know playing a team from the sec like tennessee is still going to be a challenge yeah i mean i think you know he knows the the challenges that that tennessee presents I, the one things he's not sure of or what tennessee's like on defense you know because tennessee's got a lot of bodies that either played very little a year ago or didn't play a year ago uh, that are new, whether it be from, you know, coming back from an injury like, you know, Juju Mitchell or or helping the secondary or help at pass rusher. So I think that's his unknowns going into this game, Eric. Um, you know, this is a Ball State team that has went to back-to-back bowl games, has continued to, uh, you know, find its footing, as you said, had a really good year in 2020. Um, and, you know, they're trying – they've got their question marks as well. So – you know, I think it, you know, and kind of, you know, listening to him, it was pretty clear. He's kind of stressed, you know, Hey, this is going to be an atmosphere. This is going to be uh, something that can unravel on us quick if we don't stay and, and tr- true to ourselves, so to speak. And, and I would expect ball state to do what ball state does. Well, what I like about this for Tennessee from a matchup standpoint, is I think ball state's got a couple of receivers that can threaten you that are solid players. I think one's on the bullet, the cough list, uh, that they're nearly a thousand yards a, a season ago. They've got a compliment receiver to him, who's a veteran guy, and I think for Willie Martinez that that's a that's a good thing because you're trying to figure out your corners. Who, who do you trust? Who do you feel good about? You want those guys tested uh, before you go to Pittsburgh. I think they're going to get some tests there. I think McDonald will get some tests, uh, you know, at the star position. So the one thing I like about this matchup for Tennessee from a growth standpoint. I don't think Ball State's going to line up and throw it for 350 yards or anything like that. I'm not suggesting that. But they're going to throw it a good bit. They're not just going to line up and try to run it because they're not a very good running football team. And so I think for a secondary where you've got a bunch of bodies, new bodies, Eric, that you feel like you've got some depth with, but you're not exactly sure kind of where they all fit in and how they're going to fit, I like the fact that those guys are going to get challenged in some one-on-one matchups um, on Thursday night, which I think is good for them moving forward. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, Jason uh, Jackson, 69 receptions, almost 900 yards, five touchdowns. You have Yo Hines Taylor, a big target, six foot three, uh, had 50 catches, 500 yards, six touchdowns. So, yeah, those are the two receivers you're mentioning. And that, that run game only averaged about 130 yards on the ground a, a game. They bring back the same guys. So it's not like it was, you know, uber productive a season ago. They're going to throw it. And so you'll, you'll get a chance to, uh, it's not going to be a gimme. You know, they're going to be tested. I'm like you. I don't think they're going to air it out for you know 250, 300 yards in this game. But Warren Burrell, a chance to see what he's got after uh, an offseason. D. Williams, who had sh- shined at points and times during camp. Those guys will play. Of course, Kamal Haddon, where are you health-wise? 
Um, you know, some other guys who are rotating there, Christian Charles, first game at corner. I'm intrigued to see what those cornerbacks and see if there's any type of, I mean, there's probably not going to be any big time conclusions after this game, but there will be as you continue to move on as, as we spoke on, you know, Pittsburgh's a big game in week two. You got to start playing the guys that you trust a whole lot. And maybe we'll kind of inch closer to seeing that at least in the secondary um, after this football game. How do you, how do you get to a point? And this is for everybody. How, how do you how do you know who you can trust though? I mean, because there could be a newcomer that you know you just you've not had in a real game situation. Are you going to fill the trust with some of those people against Pitt? You know what I'm saying? Like coaches just are so creatures of habit; they fall into playing you know the guys they know. But how how will they know? How 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 do you think they figure that out this week? Because I do think they're going to play a lot of players. Um. So and and you're bound to have success. So how do you balance that going into week two when you're playing a Pitt team that you know, obviously it's preseason ranked top 25. Well, I, I think it starts with just the mental side of things, um, Rob. I mean, you know, who, who lines up the right way? Who runs Who runs the call the right call? And, and, and I, I, I think it's most important, Rob, at the left tackle position. Because, because when you go to Pittsburgh, Pat Narduzzi is going to come at you from a million different directions in pass rush situations. So if you don't communicate at the left tackle spot or if a guy has multiple busts, on Saturday or Thursday against Ball State, that probably changes your trust factor a little bit, or it does for me if you're a coach, compared to a guy who, hey, he played well. Most importantly, he was solid mentally. So I think that's where your trust factor comes in, is the guy know where to line up first and foremost. I think that's totally it. I mean, maybe not totally. Maybe, you know, 80%. You know, maybe if there's a freshman that has a couple middle busts but flashes athletically to the point where a coach is like, whoa, you know, look look at that. Maybe that you know gets you graded on the curve, but I I think by and large it's it, it's just what you said, Hubbard. I think it's the mental stuff. Who can we trust when we go on the road that is not going to you know make a mistake and strike up the band for the opponent? And uh, I mean, I think there's a lot of that. You mentioned left tackle. I think there's a lot of that in, in the secondary where, where guys playing corner um, are, are going to be in a new spot. Tamarian McDonald has you know obviously it sounds like he's been with the stars at camp, but. Well, he's he's biting off a lot more than he's ever chewed before in his career, um, being your starting nickelback. And beyond, you know, Tillman, Hyatt's played a little bit, but you know, mentally, who who's on top of things at receiver? Well, I just think that's the key. I mean, for a guy like Jawan Mitchell, right? I mean, Jawan Mitchell's got all the physical school skills that you want. I think if you physically put Jawan Mitchell out there and Jeremy Banks, you'd say that's my two best linebackers. But is he going to go right one way and wrong three, or is he going to go right three and wrong one? You know, those are things that you're looking for on Thursday night uh, to to get an understand, get an understanding of who you can trust and who you can't trust, and, and who. Hey, you say, listen, he had he had too many mental mistakes, but he was good enough athletically. We need to really we need to get him more reps next week getting ready for Pittsburgh. We need to tweak how we do some things with, with this player or that player to get them ready to play. Those are all things that you come out of Thursday night with. You flip the script and look at Ball State defensively going up against Tennessee's offense, and uh, it was a, a defense that was kind of middle of the road a season ago, fifth in the conference in points per game, eighth in the conference in yards given up. They've got some new guys in the secondary. They bring back some guys in the front seven that are, that are pretty good players, linebacker and 
Clayton Cole, who had over 100 tackles a season ago. A linebacker, Brandon Martin, who, yes, it was not a typo. This will be his seventh season playing linebacker for uh, the Cardinals. Tavion Woodward up up top, or uh, excuse me, on the front line, five sacks a season ago. But as something that Mike New discussed on The Nation the other night, and you'll hear from him here in just one moment, it's tough to prepare for the Tennessee offense. The, the, the tempo, it's going to smack you in the face. Here's what Mike New had to say about how he's prepared his team for that Tennessee tempo. Tennessee does a great job of, of trying to keep you on the field, you know, not switching out uh, personnel a bunch so that you have a chance to substitute. So we know that, you know, we've been practicing, uh, you know, versus tempo for a long time, starting back in spring practice here in training camp, you know, every day. So uh, we know that's part of it, conditioning and, uh, you know, being able to, to play in the third and fourth quarter when you're tired is going to be a big part of it. But there's no doubt that we want to try to uh, play and rotate as many guys as we can uh, to stay fresh because, uh, you know, they make it. It's, it's certainly a challenge uh, with the number, you know, certainly, you know, basically running three plays a minute, uh, certainly a challenge. Really, any way you spend it, Austin, I, I feel like it, not to say that Tennessee's defense will struggle in this football game whatsoever, but uh, it's just kind of one of those games to where, of course, you want to look sharp, you want to look crisp, but. I think the Tennessee offense is just just going to roll against this Ball State defense with that tempo, and of course, you know, having veterans like Hooker and Tillman and and Jabari Small with an offensive line that returns four or five starters. Yeah, in a perfect world, you get out there, you score some points, you put up some yards, and then you get some of those younger kids some run. Because uh, I mean, you just never know when you're going to have to turn to them due to injury, due to you know whatever. So um, yeah, I mean, if you want Tennessee's offense to come out and click, you go back to a year ago when they played. Bowling Green, they 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 kind of showed flashes, but for the most part, that that was pretty much under, pretty much an underwhelming performance on the whole. When you don't get to forty points, so you know, can Tennessee you know come out, take care of business, be sitting there at thirty five in the first half, and you know turn it over to Joe Milton and turn it over to to Dylan Sampson and turn it over to some of those younger wide receivers? I, I think that's very very important, and honestly, I think it's important too because what Brent just talked about with the left tackle spot. To, to continue to rep those guys the entire game and and have them in there in meaningful situations where they're actually doing things and not just turn around and hand it off uh, in the second half. Well, Rob, I think this for, for you talk when you talk about the Tennessee offense, it's all about maturity in year two. How much more mature are them are, are, is that group to, to play four quarters and to particularly play the second quarter better than they did a year ago in the opener? They were terrific out of the gate, right? 14 points, first two possessions. We're all sitting there watching them against Bowling Green going, holy crap, I can't chart a play. I can't keep up with anything that they're doing. Then they get in the second quarter, and they go two, three and outs, and Bowling Green occupies the football, and Tennessee doesn't score in the second quarter. And that was the start of the second quarter trend for Tennessee. That was a problem a year ago. Great first quarter team, average second quarter team on offense to below average. I want to see what's their maturity look like in the first half of this game. Can they put the hammer down out of the gate? Because you know their tempo is going to shock Ball State. But, Rob, can they finish a half playing the way they start playing the first half? I mean, I, I think that thing's going to go away, at least against this level of competition, the, the second quarter thing. And I, and I, and to me, it's all about hitting Hooker. Maybe I'm reading too much into it, but, man, I just – I expect big things. I expect a big year. I'm – you know, I – the kid got better and better as the year went on last year. Anytime we've been around him in spring or, or here in the fall, I mean, he just seems like a guy that is absolutely, you know, ready. Like this, you know, the old cliche, this is his team. Um, Heupel has been glowing about him, about, you know, the command he has of the offense. I just, 
I'll look for big things out of Hooker this year. I mean, really big things. And I, and I think that starts in, in the first half on Thursday night. I'll be surprised if they punt in the yeah. first half. <laughs> be surprised if they punt. Be, be a slow day for Paxson Brooks? In the first half, I'll be surprised if they punt. What do you mean it's a three and out on the first drive? Way to go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've all mentioned some things that we're kind of looking for in this football game, and, and we'll continue as the week goes on. Uh, from a maybe a player perspective, uh, I, I'm kind of looking at these these freshman tailbacks. They're going to get a whole lot of run, and if, if Tennessee goes out and scores a whole lot of points in the first half and has a comfortable lead, then you want to put in those backups. You want to get everybody in there. But you know, first true action for Dylan Sampson, for Justin Williams-Thomas, how do they run the football? How do they stack up in pass protection uh, on defense? Tamari McDonald, that Rob, you mentioned it a moment ago, projected to be the starter, but – you know, this is a new environment for him, and though I understand the competition's not what it will be a week from there, and then certainly an SEC play, how do you perform in that new role? Um, obviously, left tackle. And, and Brent, this is something I want to I want to ask you about. You made the comment last week that you're not sure if left tackle will be solidified after this football game, but, you know, who's rubbing with the ones? Who gets more plays with the ones? Kind of, you know, who's out there first? Who plays the best? Those are some things from maybe a personnel and from an actual player standpoint then I'll kind of be looking for, you know, as Thursday night progresses. Yeah, no question. And and I don't think they'll solidify the left tackle spot. I think they'll rotate those guys at Pittsburgh. Unless unless one guy's just clearly better in in, in the Thursday game or one guy clearly doesn't play well uh, Thursday night, which uh, you would not expect. I, I tell you, another, another personnel thing that's going to be, you know, keep an eye on is the punt return game. Do, do you walk out of do you walk out of the stadium Thursday night feeling like that's solidified and they've got complete trust in somebody back there to really be aggressive and play the punt return game or is it going to be Trayvon Flowers fair catch you know what what are they going to be in special teams you look at a year ago Pittsburgh special teams had a chance to turn that game I mean they got the block punt early uh, special teams was a real key factor in that Pittsburgh game uh, in Knoxville a year ago where are they with the special teams in a return game, which was really good a year ago. So those are some individual things that, that you look at and you look for. I think the biggest takeaway in, in covering enough of these is you just don't pass complete judgment, good or bad, one way or the other on Thursday night. You, you, you look at the good things. You look at some suspect things. There'll be people going to the water cooler on Friday going, this is the best team ever. They're going to win 12 games or 10 or 11 games. And you have some other people, some people going, though, we'll be lucky to get to a bowl game. Fact of the matter is it's somewhere in between with this team because you want to see how they grow from week one to week two. But what do they give you that you feel like you can grow with on week one? I think that's the biggest takeaway for me Thursday night. One other thing for me would be tight ends as well. Something we've talked about the two veterans, you know what you got there, but Miles Campbell, can you take, you, ain't, the you ain't finding a third tight end Thursday night. Okay. Just saying, That's just not going to happen. I what, mean, what will you do in terms of you play two or not? Yeah. I mean, the opportunity's there for yeah. him, but we'll see. But I, I just, I, I mean, I don't think that you're going to come back and, and go back to your punch list, Rob Thursday night after the game and go check. All right. We're good there. Check. We're good there. I think you're going to come back and go, a lot of work or, hey, we're closer than we thought, but I don't think you're going to go and sleep easy on your checklist or your punch list of concerns based on what happens Thursday night. I'm with Eric on a few things. Certainly Dylan Sampson, a fresh, you, you see a fresher running back pop. I mean, just, you know, does he make a play or two? Again, like, you're not going to check the box if he does, but does he pop? What receivers, not only, you know, who shows up, but who gets to play with Hinton Hooker? assuming 
that you know it, it's out of hand in the third quarter. Hooker's out. Who actually gets some some run with Hooker as part of the rotation? And in, in that receiver rotation, Jimmy Holiday, Jimmy Callaway, Walker Barrel. What do those three guys do? I mean, those those to me seem like life likely suspects. I mean, I think we can all see Squirrel White having having a package at least, or you know, having some kind of role. But Callaway, Holiday, th- those are the two guys that I, I think we all thought when they signed as as recruits would have a chance to be players. And here we are three years later and, and we're still waiting. The one thing I would add to what Hubs was saying about the tight ends is, yeah, you're not going to find, you're not going to know for sure you have a number three Thursday night. But I think it's important that Browder and Miles Campbell play a lot because this is a game where you can play them. And two, because Jacob Warren's been banged up and you really need him for those key games in the month of September, Pitt and Florida. So I would give him very little run to make sure he is good to go for the following week and then two weeks after that. But that's just me. I mean, I, I think it's the perfect game to kind of let them dip their feet in the pool and see what happens. And, you know, it ain't going to hurt you if they don't play great. And maybe you find a little something, but ultimately you're keeping Jacob Warren upright. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, you want to be careful. If anybody's a little bit nicked up at those positions, you don't have depth, you, you got to get them some rest and get them out as quick as you can. The biggest thing with Browder, with Miles Campbell, uh, it's going to be where are they mentally, you know, do, do they, do they bust, you know, cause what you can't do is you can't turn the left defensive end loose and you get know, the butt, you know, and Olay and get the quarterback just absolutely drilled. I mean, that's going to be the, the judgment test on them, Eric, coming out of Thursday night in terms of the old above the line, they can help us now below the line. They're not ready. Not sure when they'll get ready type deal for that position for those guys it's going to be about the mental side of things in terms of the pass protection part of it. Because Miles Campbell's as talented as anybody. He can run around and catch the ball as well as anybody in that tight end room can. It's just, can he mentally stay focused to do what he needs to do to keep the quarterback upright? Yeah, and, and there should be plenty of snaps to, to see, you know, a little bit of that on Thursday. No, you know, declarations leaving the Ball State game. But, you know, what do you do with those chances? Because those chances might not come – uh, as the season progresses, unless you take advantage of games like this. So, yeah, if you're a young guy, this, this is the one you better, Rob. You, you, I mean, this is the old basketball thing. Coach is going to give you a, he's going to give you a rotation. What are you going to do with it? And if you're a young guy, if you want to help this football team early in the season, you got to take full advantage of the, of that on Thursday night because this staff showed a year ago they're not afraid to playing and trimming it down and playing smaller numbers. You better take full advantage Thursday night. Yeah, if you get, you know, if you're a young receiver, you know, a young anything. If you get three or four series in the second half, doing well is not going to guarantee you chances going forward. But I think what Hubbard talks about above the line or below the line, if you go out there and have a couple of minute little bust, you jump off sides, you, you have a fumble, you lose a receiver, then I think you're going below the line and, and getting fitted for a scout team jersey. Boys, it's a big week. It's game week. Tennessee Ball State Thursday. That's coming up at 7 o'clock, and we're going to have coverage all week long leading up to the Ball State game, and obviously plenty of uh, reaction and stuff through the weekend. Congratulations to making it to Game Week, Tennessee and Ball State coming up on Thursday. And, uh, well, that'll do it for this edition of the Smoky Mountain Organics Ball Quest Podcast. Remember, there are three locations in East Tennessee, including one right here in Knoxville at 8018 Kingston Pike. Be sure to follow Ball Quest on the YouTube page. Uh, subscribe there if you haven't already and uh, sponsorship opportunities always sponsorship opportunities if you have any interest in that please get at brent that is at volquest at aol.com for rob lewis 
Awesome price, Brent Hubs. Happy game week. I'm Eric Kane. Glad to have you guys right here with us on Ball Quest. Appreciate you guys listening and enjoy the rest of your Tuesday, everybody. You've been listening to the Ball Quest podcast every week here on Ball Quest. <laughs>